The people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites this, You have seen for yourselves that I have spoken to you from heaven. Do not make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honoured, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. And do not go up to my altar on steps, or your private parts may be exposed. These are the laws you are to set before them. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he is to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. If he comes alone, he is, free to, he is to go free alone, but if he has a wife when he comes, she is to go with him. If his master gives him a wife and she bears him sons or daughters, the woman and her children shall belong to her master, and only the man shall go free. But if the servant declares, I love my master and my wife and children, and do not want to go free, then his master must take him before the judges. He shall take him to the door or the doorpost and pierce his ear with an awl. Then he will be his servant for life. If a man sells his daughter as a servant, she is not to go free as male servants do. If she does not please the master who has selected her for himself, he must let her be redeemed. He has no right to sell her to foreigners because he has broken faith with her. If he selects her for his son, he must grant her the rights of a daughter. If he marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. Second part of our reading starts in chapter 22, just over the page, starting in verse 21. Do not ill-treat or oppress a foreigner, for you were foreigners in Egypt. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not treat it like a business deal. Charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in? When they cry out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. You are to be my holy people, so do not eat the meat of an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs. Do not spread false reports. Do not help a guilty person by being a malicious witness. Do not follow the crowd in doing wrong. When you give testimony in a lawsuit, do not pervert justice by siding with the crowd, and do not show favoritism to a poor person in a lawsuit. If you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. Do not deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits, 
have nothing to do with a false charge, and do not put an innocent or honest person to death, for I will not acquit the guilty. Do not accept a bribe, for a bribe blinds those who see and twists the words of the innocent. Do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners, because you were foreigners in Egypt. Do keep that open. Thank you for reading it, Hannah. Let me just read a few verses of a psalm before I pray. This is from Psalm 19. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. They're more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the honeycomb. By them your servant is warned, in keeping them with his great reward. But who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then I will be blameless, innocent of great transgression. May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are, as we sung earlier, our rock and redeemer. And we thank you for your word, your law even, which is more precious than gold, sweeter than honey. And yet it's also hard sometimes to understand, hard to know what it means for us. And so we pray you would help us now. Open our eyes, please. Not just to understand your word, but also to see ourselves, discern our own errors. May your word correct us, train us in righteousness for your name's sake. Amen. Amen. Well, back to Exodus. I wonder if your reaction to those laws that were read was uh, anything like David's. Did you hear that and think, Boy, this is something that's going to refresh my soul this morning. This is going to give joy to my heart and light to my eyes. I suspect more likely, as it was read, you thought, what on earth are we looking at this for? What has it got to teach us today? Maybe you're a visitor, maybe you're not a Christian, trying to find out about the Christian faith, and you're thinking, what on earth are these people doing? Listening to stuff like that and taking it seriously still. Why? Well, the why is we are listening to this book of the great book of Exodus in the course of this term, and this just happens to be the next section of it. And I think it it will be, as we'll see, good and helpful to us. I will see it as precious and sweet. But it reminds me, maybe, I don't know if you ever played the game Balderdash. We used to play it with our kids, you know, when they were when we were younger. And as one of the sort of things, you have to sort of make up definitions for words and things like that. But also you have to make up bizarre laws. So there'll be a, a true law and you all pull your different attempts at a bizarre law. And you have to guess which the real one is and try and fool as many 
um, with your attempt at a, at a fake. And there are some extraordinary laws in our world, if you've ever played that game. Actually, even in the UK, we have extraordinary laws. I did a quick Google search, and there's a 1313 law that's still on our statute books that forbids MPs from entering Parliament wearing a suit of armour. There's an 1839 law that says you must not beat or shake a rug in the streets of London unless it's a doormat, and then you're allowed to do it, but only before 8 o'clock in the morning. And you think, what is the point? Well, maybe we can see the point of those laws once. We know what Parliament's like today, and uh, can be a pretty feisty place. Maybe the suit of armour thing was important. It was maybe a war of words, not weapons. And when you didn't have vacuum cleaners, well, maybe that other law made sense. And we might discern a sort of reasonableness in some of these laws. Some of them, though, leave us scratching our head, and we think, why? Uh, if, if we didn't read all the section we've got, but the very last verse of our section, 23 verse 19, has this law, do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. We might well think, what on earth is that there for why? And people guess, but we don't think we really know for sure. It all seems rather strange. Actually, what's going on is that we're being helped to apply the Ten Commandments, which we looked at last week. Josh helped us uh, through them. Work out how do we apply those Ten Commandments to the nitty-gritty mess of life. I mean, it's one thing to say, thou shalt not murder. But what if it's an accident? What if my ox goes on a rampage and gores someone? Is that, am I responsible? Is that murder? Or when might it be? It's what's called case law, and it's giving a number of illustrative examples, not meant to be exhaustive, but just some examples of how the Ten Commandments might be applied in the mess of real life. Of course, the trouble is, real life in the here and now is rather different from real life in the there and then. So we have to look for the underlying principles that are being talked about. And those principles, we'll see, I think, still have much to teach us today. You may know Jesus was critical of the Pharisees, Pharisees who were scrupulous in wanting to attend to the every detail in the law and obey it uh, fully. Jesus says, despite doing that, actually they missed the point of the law. They missed the wood for the trees. And he said at one point, woe to you, teachers of the law, and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. As we look at these laws now, I don't want us to strain out gnats to get into all the details. I, I mostly want us to, to see the camel, that all the camels that are there for us, the weighty matters, the important principles that undergird all these laws. Jesus spoke of justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And I think it's likely, as he said that, it was an echo of some famous words of the prophet Micah. Micah 6, 6, 8. Uh, What does the Lord require of you? Answer, to act justly, 
to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Justice, Jesus says, mercy. Faithfulness, NIV has it. It might just be translated faith. And maybe it is especially referring to that vertical relationship with God, walking humbly with our God, as Micah puts it. Those are the weighty matters, the foundational principles we mustn't miss as we look at these laws. Our world, of course, is very different from the world back then, but God has not changed, and those principles remain absolutely uh, vital for us today. So, as we look at this fairly long section, I want to just, as it were, try and press home or help us see those three camels, if you like, the need to act justly, love mercy, walk humbly with our God, justice, mercy, and faith. But we're going to reverse the order. So begin with faith. If you pick up a book in a bookshop and want to know what on earth it's about, the obvious thing to do is look at the cover. Front cover, back cover, and that gives you a fairly good idea of what it's about. In, in chapter 24 of Exodus, this section we've got today is given a name, and it's called The Book of the Covenant. And so if we want to get an idea of what this book, this section is all about, well, we might look at the front cover and the back cover, how it begins and how it ends. So if you look to the beginning of our reading, the last bit of chapter 20, you'll see it's a, it's a section about worship. Verse 23, don't make any gods to be alongside me. Do not make for yourselves gods of silver or gods of gold. Make an altar of earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and fellowship offerings, your sheep and goats and your cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. And that little section just reminds us God demands, as he'd said in the Ten Commandments, exclusive worship. More than that, distinctive worship. They were not to worship the Lord, their God, the way the nations all around them worshipped their gods. So no idols, no fancy altars, it says, with cut stone. No nakedness, exposing private parts. Again, in in, in the world around them, sexual immorality was very much bound up with their worship. God says, no, I want there to be modesty and simplicity about the way you worship me. It's not that we have to put on Sunday best, but we do have to wear some clothes when we turn up to church. That's important. That prohibition about carved stone altars, or maybe there's a lesson that we're not to let the the form of worship supplant the, the proper focus of worship. So easily, buildings and liturgy can become more important than the God they're meant to honor. Well, that's the, that's the front cover, if you like, how the book begins. It suggests this book of the covenant is a book about worship. And if you look at the back cover, how it ends, well, it seems to confirm that. So as we, from where we finish the reading, 23 verse 10, you'll see there's some stuff about Sabbath laws. Then the final section speaks about the three annual festivals. So at verse 17, three times a year, all the men 
are to appear before the sovereign Lord. He'd said at the beginning, in that front cover, I will come to you and bless you. Here on the back cover, he says, and you must come before me. So front and back cover of the book suggests this book, this section, is about worship, how we honor the Lord, how we relate to him, how we walk humbly with our God. And yet, between those two covers, we get a whole load of laws about uh, servants, grievous bodily harm, grazing rights of your sheep. It's a whole load of very mundane things, the the nitty-gritty stuff of life. And surely the point is, worship, worship of God is not just something we do in church on Sunday. Worship is about how we treat our colleague, how we treat our neighbor, how we care for property. Faith is to be lived out in all of life, not least in the mess of life. And most of these laws are dealing with mess. When stuff happens, accidents happen, sin happens, when life gets messy and people are trapped in debt, when tempers flare and someone gets hurt, when wrongs are done and redress is called for. That is life. That's the stuff of life. And this section teaches us that worship is for life. That's what worship is about. How I treat the shop assistant at Sainsbury's. How I treat the homeless person on our pavements. How I drive my car. We don't have an auction anymore but how I drive my car, how I speak about political leaders, it says, how I treat my parents. This book of, about worship is telling us all of life matters. The nitty-gritty stuff of life matters. Queen Victoria's first prime minister, Lord Melbourne, is said to have complained, if religion is going to invade a person's private life, Things have come to a pretty pass, and yet it does. It must invade our private life and our public life. mustn't drive a wedge between the sacred and the secular. Worship is not just what we do now as we gather together, important though that is. Worship is about what you do tomorrow at quarter to 11, whatever. It's living out our faith in all of life. That's the principle. That's the camel we need to recognize. Second weighty matter is mercy. As we get past the front cover of the book, it's striking the first thing we read about. So just look back. 21, verse 1. These are the laws you're going to set before them. Verse 2. If you buy a Hebrew servant, he's to serve you for six years, but in the seventh year he shall go free without paying anything. It's quite striking. We're we're rightly appalled at the uh, idea of slavery. We're ashamed, many of us, about our country's part in the slave trade in centuries past. And it speaks first about slaves. It seems as though the Bible might be saying, actually, it's okay. Shocking to us, it, it might have been shocking to the first readers. They'd only just escaped from a brutal, cruel slavery in Egypt. 
So I think we just need to notice it, it, it's not slavery as we might imagine it, though it talks about buying a Hebrew servant. Actually, later we're told, if any of your fellow Israelites becomes poor and sells themselves to you, do not make them work as a slave. It's interesting. It's, it's clearly different from slavery. Not slavery as we think of it. Slavery as exists still in our world today. That is forbidden. The Bible does not condone involuntary slavery. Kidnapping, it speaks of. Selling people on as slaves. What it's talking about is a, is a way of dealing with poverty and debt. Yes, they'd been freed from Egypt, but they were going to carry on living in a fallen world. And some of them would get stuck in poverty and debt. And this was a way of dealing with it that was fair and compassionate. Notice it was temporary. For, For six years they would serve, and then the debt was cleared. And they could go free, and actually later laws will say, that uh, the freed slave was to be given a generous redundancy package so they could sort of set themselves up again in life. It's temporary, it was voluntary, maybe slightly forced on you by your circumstances, but it was your choice. And you could, at the end of your um, six years, choose to remain. That was a reasonable option to do so. It's what's really said about the women that uh, perhaps is is hardest to our ears. But I think, again, the concern was to protect the vulnerable. Women, as so often in our world, were were some of the most vulnerable in that society. Much harder for them to provide for themselves and, and, and protect themselves. And I think that's why there is this ongoing obligation. They are not freed in quite the same way. There's an obligation to go on providing for them. They're not to be discarded and kicked out, as it were, or sold on. And if they were to marry, as it seems often they might have done, it wasn't going to be a second-class marriage. They had the full rights and status within the household. Any failure to provide for them meant they could go free, it says. It wasn't a prison, that this marriage they were in. And that concern to protect the vulnerable, to show mercy and compassion is something that is emphasized again and again in in these laws. So in the second bit that was read um, from 22, chapter 22, verse verse 21, that section is bracketed by laws about how we treat foreigners. Um, 21, do not ill-treat or oppress a foreigner. You were foreigners in Egypt. And 23, verse 9, do not oppress a foreigner. You yourselves know how it feels to be foreigners because you were foreigners in Egypt. They'd known what it was like to be a migrant worker in a foreign land. They had found out how easily your rights could be trampled on. You could be abused and exploited. The Lord says, remember how it felt and show mercy, show compassion to the foreigner. And then he mentions the the widow and the fatherless. Again, both very vulnerable. Without a husband or a father to protect and provide, 
They were vulnerable, even today, of course. Think of children in our care homes or care system. Think of some of our elderly in care homes. Often, sadly, abused and mistreated. Well, vulnerable. So he says, verse 22, don't take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. So it's saying it makes God angry when a society abuses or neglects the most vulnerable. I take it God hasn't changed. I take it there is much in our world today that must make God angry. He mentions then another vulnerable group, the poor. Verse 25, if you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, don't don't treat it like a business deal, charge no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it by sunset, because that cloak is the only covering your neighbor has. What else can they sleep in when they cry out to me I will hear, for I am compassionate. Tell you, it's not forbidding the charging of interest. It's not referring to business loans or mortgages. It's talking about when someone is profoundly needy and needs just some money to put food on their plate that day, money to live. So often the poor are preyed on today by loan sharks. Yet the law says, a good law says, no interest. And if they give their cloak as a pledge, it's because they have nothing else they can give you. But they will need it when nighttime comes, so give it back to them then. You might say, well, why take it in the first place if you're going to give it back at nighttime? Well, it may be that was a way of protecting the poor themselves from getting into worse situations by taking out multiple loans. Maybe the fact that they had to hand over the cloak was a protection from them getting into a worse situation. The point is, show mercy. Reflect God's compassion, which is compassion even to his enemies. And so it should be for us. 23 verse 4, if you come across your enemy's ox or donkey wandering off, be sure to return it. If you see the donkey of someone who hates you fallen down under its load, do not leave it there. Be sure you help them with it. You see, these, these laws are trying to show us something weighty. The importance of mercy and compassion towards the most needy, the most vulnerable in our society. Those that too often are ignored or overlooked, neglected, abused. Maybe it's good for us to stop and think. Who are the people I should be noticing more? Who are the people I should be caring for more? Trying to show God's compassion to. Faith, mercy, and then briefly, justice was the other sort of camel, if you like, that Jesus wanted us to notice. And if justice sounds all rather dry and dull, Maybe because we haven't often suffered injustice in life. Injustice is horrible. Justice is something that matters to God, and that's a good thing. It's one of the important matters, Jesus says. And there's lots in this section, particularly the bits we didn't read, actually, about justice. How justice must be fair. 
And so it talks about how you've got to recognize motive. There's a difference between intentional murder and an accident or homicide. It, it talks about how you need to discern the, the degree of responsibility. If your ox goes and gores someone, well, that could just be a tragic accident. If they've done it before and you haven't penned your oxen up properly, well, then it says you are responsible for that. How you look after your property, if it impacts others, is important. Justice must be fair, must be proportionate. And in that regard, a key principle throughout these laws is that people matter more than things. That's why murder's a capital offence. It's why if someone's caught thieving, you don't chop off their hands, as would happen in some societies. People matter more than things, more than your property. Justice must be proportionate. So some famous verses, chapter 21, verse 23. It says, if there's a serious injury you're to take, life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, bruise for bruise. Now that is not a license for revenge. It's not for the individual to exact that. That was like guidance for how the law courts should determine punishment. It was to be proportionate. It's not saying literally so. If you read on, verse 26, an owner who hits a male or female slave in the eye and destroys it must let the slave go to compensate for the eye. Or an owner who knocks out the tooth of a male or female slave must let the slave go free to compensate for the tooth. Not literally eye for an eye. It's talking about proportionate punishment. And notice, it makes it very clear that slaves were in no way to be mistreated. If they were, they could go free. Their debts cancelled. So fair, proportionate, and impartial. Those verses at the beginning of chapter 23 speak of that, how we are not to spread false reports. Notice of trial by media. Don't follow the crowd, he says, verse 2. Strikingly, don't show favoritism, verse 3, to the poor, and yet, verse 6, don't deny justice to your poor people in their lawsuits. There's to be no favoritism of any kind, no bribery. So often in our world, justice favors the rich today, even in this country, I fear. Punishment isn't always proportionate or fair. And these laws remind us our God is a God of justice absolutely fair. It's wonderful. Ultimately, we can entrust, we trust him to be just. But he cares about justice, and we should too. So these laws are showing us something about God, what he's like. He's a God who is concerned for all of life. He's concerned, actually, about grazing rights and employment law. He's concerned about the very mundane details of your life, your job, your situation. He cares about that, actually. He's interested. It tells us he is especially concerned for the vulnerable and the needy. He's a God who cares about justice. That's what he's like. And so what does he require of us? It's that we should act justly, love mercy, 
And in all we do, walk humbly with our God. Let me pray. Father, please help us to take your word seriously, not to dismiss it. These, uh, these weighty things, these, these camels, we must notice uh, of the importance of worship in all of life, of, of compassion, of justice. Please help us to understand that, that reflects what you are like, but also how we should be. Help us, please, to become more like you, for your name's sake. Amen.